Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Imani Talks Astrology. We're here talking about Aquarius season. We're just getting some background, some why, you know, Um, and really conceptualizing why this part of the year is so important. Favorite time of the year. And I think I probably said that in the first episode. Um... Yeah, uh, if you are interested in getting a reading, DM me, or just at me, um, on Twitter, Instagram, handle is you, woman, you, um, if you are interested in the Psycho-Cybernetics group, hit me up. February 9th, um, if you are, um, interested in the astrology meetup group, I believe it might be February 23rd that I'm trying to do, that, that seems to be the best, um, day where a couple of people who are interested, um, won't be here at the beginning of the month, um, and I won't be here in the middle of the month, so we're gonna have to do it at the end. Um, so again, hit me up. Let me know if you're interested. Again, DC metro area folks. Um, that's just about it. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Happy Aquarius season, everybody. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Back again. Happy Aquarius season. Um, So the sun went into Aquarius, I believe, the 20th? Is it 27th? Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, So yeah, so we're just going to talk briefly about Aquarius season. Um, Some of the, the mysteries that kind of lie there in terms of the rulership of the sign Aquarius, um, and of course what we can take away from this season. Um, so I'll break this into two parts, um, where I'll be talking about um, Saturn as the ruler of Aquarius, not Uranus, Saturn, um, as well as the reference to the water bearer um, and what that means for well, in general, as well as what that means for us individually. I will say Aquarius season is one of my favorite seasons because it means that we, by the end of it, will almost be done with winter. And I hate the cold. I'm joking. Um, The energy of Aquarius season is just very fun to me. Um, And it's always really exciting. Um, I sound so excited right now, right? Oh my gosh. Don't mind me. I'm just tired. Um... And so, yeah, it will be a really fun season, Um, really great time. I will say, and I'll probably talk about this in the second part um, when I finish that, um, about some of the transits and things that we can expect um, during this time. So Aquarius season is January 20th until the 21st of February, where we will be at the last um, season of the astrological year, which is Pisces season. I'm so excited. Aries season is right around the corner. It's so close. I can 
feel it, I can smell it. Um, alrighty, let's dive right in. Um, so as people who may be new to astrology or someone who has studied astrology for a while, um, it is quite, um, I think at this point popularly known that there is a bit of a controversy or a, not controversy, but an ongoing conversation and argument um, about what planet rules the sign Aquarius. Um, we are told that it is Uranus, Uranus um, or Uranus. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, for lots of reasons that, that works. And I think lots of astrologers have said that's the only reason why Uranus has been considered the ruler of Aquarius is because it works, not because there is actual um, history behind that. And so if we look, you know, one thing that's been interesting to me that I've been trying to uncover for a couple of years now, I don't like to be someone who's just like, yes, I agree with the thing. Usually it's like, yeah, I agree with the thing, but like, let me do a little bit re of research so that I can completely agree with the thing, right? And so one thing that I found a little difficult um, to kind of come across was the um, the reason why Saturn works as the ruler of Aquarius. And so, you know, oddly enough, um, you know, we look at Saturn as it's a planet that rules depression, reality checks, um, maturity, discipline, um, capitalism, um, government systems, um, authority, God, uh, the strict parent, the provider parent, um, hard work, um, success, uh, rocks, <laughs> mountains, um, overcoming through um, adversity, um, time, uh, all of those things, um, all very Capricorn things, right? And I've like wondered myself, I'm like, well, where is the room for the Aquarian? Um, aspects of um, of the planet, and you know we look at well if you're putting in perspective why Uranus works right, we think of chaos um, and upheaval and uh, different forms of I guess um, you know innovation, science, um, reforming the system, revolutionary um, insight, um, collective um, truth. Um, awakening um to the truth um all of those things are ruled by uh uranus um and it makes sense you know and so all of those things we associate with the um the water bearer or aquarian archetype of the you know non-conformist the the weirdo the strange one the kind of isolated person um who sits in the back of the room is kind of oddly intense and you don't know if they like you or not you know to me and and I found so Aquarians so difficult to understand I definitely think that's just part of their air um they don't really want to be understood um they just want to be you to know that they're right um that's very much so the Capricorn and Aquarian energy there the stubbornness and matter-of-factness of the planet Saturn um definitely shows very strong in both of those signs right and so you know, I, again, thinking, where's the, the room for the other things, for the other parts? Um, and so, you know, uh, back in, at the beginning of December, again, I had went to that uh, Broadly Astrology Conference, and I had listened to Danny Larkin 
um, do a presentation about crystals. Um, and he did a bit of um, crystals. Um, and in using, if you want, if this is interesting to you, just hit me up, I can send you the, the information. Um, it's uh, about being intentional about the use of your crystals to cultivate the power of them, right? Based on your birth chart. Um, and so with that, he gave a bit of perspective by doing the, um, what's it called? Mythology uh, behind each of the planets, right? Um, for those who don't know, of course, um, the archetypes that exist um, for the planets are very much so based on mythology. And that's where the key was. That's where the answer was. And so I did my research. So all of the planet names, of course, are based off of the Roman um, system of, uh, what's it called? Of mythology. Um, even though we oftentimes jump back and forth between um, Roman and Greek mythology in terms of our explanation. But that is just the nature of Western astrology, right? Western astrology is a clusterfuck of lots of different astrologies, um, kind of Frankenstein into one big being, which why, you know, to a certain extent, people will argue that lots, many parts of it are nonsensical and don't really make sense. But hey, it is what I know the best. Um, and so it talks, you know, when it describes, and you could go on Wikipedia and find this, um, but you can also, you know, if you're a, a learned person, you can go read <laughs> Ovid, um, or any of the other classical texts that um, put in perspective these things, right? And so Saturn is the god of generation, dissolution, wealth, plenty, periodic renewal, liberation. Um, and again, this is through the Roman lens in which they look at um, the nature of the planet um, it or the, the, the god, right? And it wasn't until much later that they began to associate um, Saturn with time. Um, that is very much so a newer um, concept um, in terms of the way that we conceptualize the planet um, and the, the planet and the, the um, mythology behind um, Saturn um, or Cronus in, in the Greek mythology, right? And I, I keep digging. And so there is a festival um, that is held, uh, that was held back in Roman times called Saturnalia, um, if people have heard of it. Um, and it was a time of free speech. Um, it was a time in which they overturned social norms, um, where they dissolved the sole existing social hierarchy. Um, and we saw people reversing the roles that they played within society. Doesn't that sound so Aquarian, right? Um, and so, it, you know, during this festival and during this time, which was usually held around um, what is now to be considered Sagittarius season, um, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, um, slaves were... Uh, being served by their masters and were able to speak and talk to them any type of way. People were able to gamble. Um, it, it was described as freeing souls into immortality. Um, and when you, when, you know, I thought about for a second, like, what does that really mean, right? So when we think about Capricorn season and we think about Saturn um, and the varying, you know, Saturn events that we face in our life, we confront the fact that we are mortal um, and that we face limitations and boundaries by the fact that we are 
human beings that we exist on the physical plane. Because of that, there are things that are possible and there are things that are not. I think I had mentioned maybe a couple episodes ago when I was talking about how important and exciting the last four seasons, astrological seasons are of the year, is because you kind of see the way that they're able to kind of transcend um, the ideas of how we're able to exist um, on the physical plane, right? Um, we have, and I'll go back and say it again, Jupiter, um, of course, ruling Sagittarius saying, I'd like to go on a venture. Um, I'd love to fly. Um, Cancer saying, not Cancer, Capricorn and Saturn saying, well, you can't fly because there's gravity. Aquarius saying, yes, we can fly. All we need is the right structure to do so. We can be innovative. We can be inventive. We can make planes um, that are modeled after, you know, things that naturally exist in the world. We can make gliders. There are so many different ways that we can transcend that boundary, right? And so that idea being very evident in the way that we dissolve the ways that we think about things socially um, to really create and open up a new realm of possibility. That's all that Aquarius season is about and that's all that Aquarians are about, right? Um, And I guess that's what adds it to that humanitarian lens. And so it was very interesting, Um, you know, the the festival was very much so one about, you know, nonconformity and really kind of flipping the existing structure upside down you know, if we think about the Capricorn being that the pyramid structure with everyone at the bottom and, you know, Aquarius saying, let's flip it upside down and see if it could be this way. Right. Um, it was a time, you know, where people could basically get away with anything. Um, there was base a pass and it kind of seemed a little bit <clears throat> in reading it a little bit purge like. Right. And even a little bit nihilistic, which is one of my favorite words to describe Aquarians, because they're just like, well, depending on what type of Aquarian you, you run into. But it, it's it's funny if you follow um, uh, lots of Aquarians are, are surrounded by them, the way that they think will really fascinate you um, because you can't really argue with them because they're able to think and conceptualize the world in a different way, in a way that's extremely different um, than what we expect. Right. And I think that's the kind of the magic of them where they bring innovation, where they bring creativity, where they're able to bring the possibility of new, of something better. Right. Of something different. Um, And so this uh, I think, you know, my takeaway from that. uh, Well, I got to keep going. It's just kind of the the desire or the ability to break through oppressive structures, to find freedom in stripping away social norms and social hierarchy, um, being able to be free to be and express um, in whatever way it is that you would like. Um, and not in a um, not in a Leo kind of way, of course, Leo being the opposite sign. Oddly enough, um, Leo, not Leo, but the sun rules the fifth house, right? Um, and the fifth house is the gambling house in astrology. Isn't that so strange? Um, and the people are allowed to gamble during this time, right? Um, and I think it has, of course, I don't necessarily know, completely know, like, the background and understanding of what that is about or why, um, but it is very interesting, right? Um, and so to 
kind of continue the story. Um, so in reading what I was kind of trying to, or trying to find what I was looking for, um, and even on Wikipedia, it was like, oh, go read, you know, Cronus is, uh, you know, Romans borrow from the, the story of Cronus, who is the equivalent in Greek mythology in terms of the story of um, Saturn. And I, again, this, uh, keeping this in mind. Um, so the ultimate being, right, or the god of the universe is Uranus. Um, lots of, we'll, we'll have a Uranus episode one day because there's just so much interesting um, stuff that's there. Um, and there's so much to reflect upon. Ooh, okay, I'm, let me write this down. And let me read that. Sorry. Of Kundalini. Cool. Just to show you, tell you where my head is at. So all of us um, born in 1988 to 1995 just had our Uranus square um with Uranus and Aries I didn't even realize that oh my gosh um I just got this book well let me backtrack so I have this book about the awakening of the the kundalini by um, Barbara Henclow and it talks about um the cycles of Saturn um Uranus and Chiron and what they play in terms of our spiritual awakening um which is really dope and awesome Likewise, and they also really coincide with um, uh, other social um, timelines and um, experiences that we have as humans, um, some of which are biological too, like the midlife crisis and you know things of that sort. I also bought this book recently, I'm so excited to read it, um, called Passages, um, in which it talks about the different, again, life cycles that we face, whether it be in our 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. And my goal, of course, is to align them with um, astrological transits that we face. I would not be surprised if this there was some relation there. Anyway, tangent, sorry. Um, and so Uranus is a deadbeat father. Okay. Um and so of course the the ruler of the universe is a deadbeat father. Um and so Saturn's fa father Uranus and his mother is Gaia um mother earth, right? And so he is a deadbeat father because he does not fuck with his kids. Um maybe his kids had bad vibes, I don't know. Um and so he had the first group of children that he had with Gaia are were referred to as the Hectoshears. Um, and he hid them, uh, because he isn't shit, right? And so, <laughs> in seeing that, and in knowing that, Gaia was like, yo, like, this man is a deadbeat father. Of course, she continues to have children with this man anyway. I don't know where her head was at. Um, she has, the, the, they have the Cyclops together, and then they birth, um, the group of children that we are most familiar with, which is the Titans, right? And so, one of those, um kids is Saturn um and Saturn is like yo um my father is trash and Gaia is like yes your father is trash um but like who's gonna do something about it and he's like you know what I'm gonna do something about it he doesn't deserve to have all that power he doesn't deserve to act like that he's a deadbeat father he's trash we're gonna take him down 
So what does Saturn do? Um, so Gaia makes a stone sickle um, and Saturn decides to castrate his father. Um, and so he cuts off his balls and he throws his balls into the sea. Um, and from his testicles emerge Venus. And so I would really like to take this time um, to thank Botticelli for his birth of Venus painting. Um, he could have painted a woman emerging from testicles and he chose to paint a woman emerging from a beautiful clam instead, um, which of course is just a lot more aesthetically pleasing, right? Um, and so oddly enough, so after this, in this kind of attempt to take down his father, um, he then learns and sees that he is, you know, in meeting, I believe, Rhea, Rhea, I don't, I think that's the, um, the, the Greek name of her, I don't know what her, um, Roman name is, um, and they have kids, or they're supposed to have kids, um, and he learns that the same way that he has, um, overthrown, um, and betrayed his father, his own children are to do so as well, right, and so what does he do? He eats his children, um, and of course, those of us who are familiar with mythology know that, um, Zeus ended up freeing all of his brothers and sisters, right, just like a Sagittarius. Um, and so what do we see there, right? We see <laughs> how chaos, um, or extremes, um, can, uh, or this coup d'etat can leave room for creation through a breakthrough for newness in terms of, um, literally the love and creation and fertility goddess being born from, uh, someone trying to overthrow or, um, disempower uh their father right we also see um you know just the the chaotic nature in general you know again with uh aquarians I, at least in what i have noticed is that there is an extreme in the way that they kind of operate i usually meet really shitty um low key like racist Aquarians, or I meet really open or just like delusional and just ridiculous in terms of the way that they think about the world. It's like a libertarian. It's like a libertarian or a leftist, right? <laughs> Are the two extremes that you get with Aquarians. Interestingly enough, I could be wrong, but I'm just saying this is just my experience. And so just the extremes in terms of the ideologies that they possess. Um, and again, going between, um, the desire to use power and chaos as a conduit to really help people or using it to just be chaotic and ridiculous for for nothing, right? And so, you know, overall, we see that same entity, that same, you know, not entity, that same relationship um, being shown within this dynamic um, and how it kind of continues on and also kind of showing how uh, destined, you know, again, Saturn having a lot to do with time and it being the Lord of karma and it being the Lord of karma, right? In times in which we destroy, you know, life is cyclical. Um, when we destroy something and we, when we destroy things, things become new, right? We also have a, a rebirth, a birth on the other side of destruction. When we 
birthings, we have to know that they come to their end, right? When we, there is always time and reform to be kind of made uh, within the system, right? Uh, there is no perfect way of that existing and there will always be someone or something that is kind of pushing us to that next level um, of possibility and that next level of like what is best. And that's the Aquarian energy, okay? I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back um, to talk about my favorite part of this, um, which is the origin story of the Aquarius um, constellation um, and how that, uh, and the star card, um, if you aren't familiar with the star card. I'll probably post it as a picture. Oh, I already did. No, I didn't. I didn't post my Instagram post for Aquarius season. Interesting. Well, I'll probably have posted it by the time that you listen to it. This, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and primordial waters and um, dreams and wishes and blah, 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 right? Um, going to talk about all that good stuff when I return in a couple seconds. Alrighty, I'm back. Um, so now I'm going to finish this damn podcast. Um, so I wrote a piece about a year ago, I think, at the end um, of Aquarius season uh, to say goodbye, right? Um one of my favorite pieces I've written astrologically about astrology. Um, and it talks about the symbolism like behind the water bear archetype that we associate with Aquarius. And this will just bring it all together, right? All the things that we talked about before, putting it in perspective in terms of the way that we look at, you know, the planetary ruler. Um, and then we can delve into the, um, I guess, the weeds, per se, of the um, the, the generalized traits of, of the sign, right? Uh, let me go ahead and read this. Aquarius season is during the hardest part of the seasonal cycle in the northern hemisphere, the middle of the winter, cold and rigid. There are no remnants of the fall and no sign of the spring. The trees are often bare and often the sky is gray. In the Mediterranean, home of the ancient Greeks and Romans, it is the rainy season. The philosopher Horace references this as he describes the constellation as the saddening of the inverted year. According to star names and their lore, through time and various cultures, Aquarius has always been symbolized by its water-carrying nature. The part of the sky the constellation occupies is referred to as the sea, since it is surrounded by Capricorn, Cetus, Arid... This is why you read things before you read them to other people, you guys. Um, Eridanus and Pisces. Aquarius, or the water bearer, is said to be in control of the seas. Interestingly, though... Interestingly enough, Aquarius is known for its humanitarian nature. Because of its water-bearing quality and symbol, 
It is often mistaken for a water sign. It is, in fact, an air sign. How does that inform the nature, its nature and its role? Well, other words associated with Aquarius are cold, detached, and rigid. These words do not seemingly align with humanitarian efforts or progression of the collective. We might associate these things with those things with empathy or emotion, which are associated with water signs. The genius and power of Aquarius is its ability is in its ability to bear water or emotion and empathy. It is able to control and contain the seas and detach from the contents of its vase. It creates an objective view of the impact of the world on our emotional well-being. In, it then pours constructive and innovative ways of solving societal ills back into the collective. Pindar, Greek poet, eloquently describes this as Aquarius pouring the life-giving waters of the earth. This is perfectly captured by the star card in tarot. Now, if you look at the star card. You see the androgynous figure. The star is my one of my. Oh, I can't pick one, but it is one of my favorite cards in the deck. It's just so beautiful. Um, the um, what was I just saying? Um, the androgynous like figure pouring the water into the ocean. Um, or into the water, as well as onto the land. So what is that water? So if you Google, (laughs) or if you know, the reference to life-giving waters is that of primordial waters, which is a a term that originates in Kemet, right? Ancient Egypt, the actual name for ancient Egypt. Um, And of course, knowing how Romans and Greeks are and how they like to take ideas from people um, and then pretend like they're their own. And then we sit here and we worship them. Um, No shade. It's just true. Um, And I'm talking about the the ancient ones. Right. Um, They the terminology Pindar uses is life giving waters. What are the primordial waters? Let me read the terminology that the primordial water was first introduced by the Chemite of Kemet, mythology of creation, literally meaning the heavenly water, the primordial water is the birthplace of life, representing the woman or female spirit. It is the literal womb for all existence. None was the embodiment of the primordial waters existing in the chaos preceding creation from which the creator God Atem arose and will be the only matter to exist at the end of all things. He is variously called the eldest and father of gods. Think about what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about Uranus, right? Again, going back to the idea that all of these archetypes um, that we find throughout mythology and throughout history, it is all going back to the same idea of wit and way of conceptualizing and explaining parts of the human experience right in the in this area um, or in this time of course it was done through mythology through myth now it is done through science which is a very um aquarian concept right as we all know 11th house science um not to i'm not even gonna go there um and so you know and i I talked about this in a very later or earlier episode in terms of the fractality you know it is of 
the way that we conceptualize everything, right? Archetype, fractal, it is all the same. One of which is science-based, right? The other of which is a more social sciences-based. Anyway, that's another story for another day that we'll revisit, right? Um, Atem being representative of Uranus, right? And again, I'm sorry for going back to that idea of... um, what's it called of conflating the two planetary rulers but what i'm talking about is what comes from him him being the father of the gods right and him being able to give birth to new right through her right through none through gaia through the the personification of again the life giving waters the um birthing um, the birthing that she represents, right? She is the catalyst that allows things to exist, right? So what is that? So primordial waters. So pouring the life-giving waters into the world is very much so representative of, again, the way that we take you know, the thing with uh, Aquarians, and I, and I can, and I, again, I will do a bit of the conflating of the planetary rulers, right? With Uranus, the idea is that, um, you know, when you are working through really heavy um, Uranus placements in your chart, the ultimate desire of the planet is freedom and truth. And so the process in which you learn and understand this is through the struggle in which you get there which is chaos. It is erratic. You know what I mean? The process of learning and seeking truth and understanding is not a smooth path. It is a a quite erratic one. So from chaos, um, from the, again, we're moving from in Aquarius season, it being about, you know, they talk about the revolutionary, you know, Pluto, when the transit Pluto in Aquarius happens in 2025, you know, generally speaking, there are talks of that being the time in which our country faces its revolution, because there is a overall discomfort and kind of fed upness with the way that the existing system, right, previous season, previous, you know, previous iteration of Saturn, um, has you know uh, ooh I'm getting lost uh, brain fog ah um you know the the saturn is the systems right the saturn in the form of aquarius is the system does not work we have to change it right you know they talk about you know how you know there is no peaceful way um to create new we see that in all revolutions, right? I think the French Revolution is an amazing example of that. So from chaos, something new being birthed, from the presence of societal ills, from the chaos that is um, human interactions with one another, um, the ways that systems fail, from that comes the ability to bring together all of the very differing ideas and needs and wants and cries of people, right? That emotional piece, putting them into one place and being able to pour, again, logical and very reasonable, what's it called, ideas, um, uh, inventions and, and concepts back into the world to be able to solve some of these things, right? That is why Aquarians 
they have a reputation for being seen as cold um but they are very understanding people they are very empathetic right this people in general humans are empathetic right um it is i hear what you're the the thought processes i hear what you're saying we cannot allow our emotions and the thing and our hurts right emotions while valid can uh fog our ability to make sound decisions right that Aquarians understand that very deeply, which is why they're all about facts, right? Um, And so it's like, I understand, I see that, but if we would like to come to a place where we're able to create a solution, we have to be stable-minded, right? Water takes up the shape that anything is in. It, you think about the destructive power of water, think of like a a tsunami um, or even waves. Um, just being able to take up space, flood, right? If we put it into a container, we're able to control it, right? We're able to control its state and we're able to get a a handle on it and use it in a way um, that is a lot more um, conducive to doing something that makes sense with it, right? That is what Aquarians are all about and that is why I love them and why they're so amazing, even though they're so confusing, right? And I think... I say that as a very watery person, you know, I have hella water in my chart, even though I'm an Aries. Um, I it, I have no air in my chart. It, I Logic is not something that I understand. I mean, even though I think I articulate things relatively well, that that is not my strong suit, right? It's just not. Um, and so there is the desire to yell and scream and, and cry and be like, well, why don't you understand? It's like, I understand, like, but like, let's do something logical with what we feel right now. Um, or take what we feel and allow it to um, inform things that we can do logically, right? So during Aquarius season, we will find um, ourselves within this space um, doing this thing right, where we're able to kind of step back and are forced to have a more objective view of our world, right? I feel like around Aquarius season is when people start getting fed up with each other, rightfully so, right? Um, Right now, um, what was I going to say? Right now, we have Lilith in Aquarius, um, check your birth chart to see where that is. And also like, you know, looking and seeing where a light is shone, um, in your birth chart during this season, what planets are lit up, um, where Saturn is, and that'll put into perspective what the world needs. Um, what the world needs is a, is a odd combination of Jupiter and Saturn in your birth chart. Um, it's the last four signs, right? Are ruled by those. Um, so think about that, right? What is it that you are to contribute to the world? Um, whether it is through the influence that you have on other people, um, within a group that you may be a part of, um, or whether it is a larger plan that you have to do that. Um, for me, it's the fourth house. So family, um, is the area of life in which I work to make a difference. I also have Saturn there. 
um, which makes that a little bit difficult. But hey, we we can figure these things out, right? Anyway, that's all. I hope this was informative. I hope it got you kind of thinking. Happy Aquarius season. You survived the eclipse. Shout out to you. Um, yeah. And I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you so much for listening.